Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. It's good to be worshiping with you all today. I want to give a special warm welcome for all of you joining us in worship today at Eastside. Love you guys. Sherman Park, Mayfair Road, and of course those of you joining us online and right here in West Allis. Welcome, welcome. Happy Father's Day to you fathers out there. Um, Are you guys ready to study some scripture today? Yeah, good. Love the energy, love the energy. We're going to be in the book of Jude here today. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to open it up to the book of Jude. And Jude is going to to show us today how do we overcome evil? How do we overcome corruption? Think in your head of that question. How would you overcome evil corruption in your life? Ponder that. Think about it. I, I think the, the stories that we hear around us, um, I think media plays a huge role in our lives. Um, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I were to take my, 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 uh, my kind of upbringing from Rocky and watching the Rocky movies, um, how, how do they tell me how to overcome evil, right? I face, everything's good in the beginning and then I face some sort of conflict and get defeated. And then I go and I work out and try to better myself and try to become better and and work up to the point and go on a journey in my life where when I face that conflict or evil again, what happens? I'm victorious. I win, right? I fight the the bad Russian and I I reign supreme, right? Is Is that what Jude has for us today? Is that the way of Jesus to overcome evil? In many ways, this narrative is how we see life around us. We live in a world of opposing forces, and we need to enter into combat, grow stronger, and defeat our foes. But I think the book of Jude has something different for us, and our main premise that I want us to explore here today is the only way to overcome evil corruption is through true faith in Jesus. The only way to overcome evil corruption is through true faith in Jesus. Um, we're going to be in the book of Jude, so I want to encourage you to open up there. Um, it's the last, it's, it's not the last book in your Bible, but it's the second to last, right before Revelation. The book of Jude, if you're just flipping, you're going to miss it, because it's one page, 25 verses, one chapter, and, and what we endeavor to do here today is to overview this whole book of Jude today. So let's just dive right in. Jude verse 1. It starts out by saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Uh, the first, first idea I want us to really explore here today is that the book of Jude, this book is written by Jude, who is a brother of James and a servant of Jesus. This, this book is written by Jude, who is a brother of James and a servant of Jesus. We see the author right away here is Jude, a shortened uh, name for Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, he is also a brother of James, and we, we know this guy, right? couple months back, I preached a sermon here about the book of James. And James taught us that faith results in action. The way that our deep-seated faith in Jesus results in us living, loving others, and loving God. And it results in action in our life. And Jude, his brother, is going to give us a little sequel here about how we contend for that faith. How we continue to foster that faith in the midst of evil and opposition. You see, uh, actually... 
um, as we learned from James, James was one of the brothers of Jesus. He was a half-brother of Jesus. And Jesus had four brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and this guy, Jude. And after the resurrection of Jesus, these guys became disciples, leaders, and missionaries in the early church. And Jude also is one of them. But you notice how he, how he calls, what he calls himself here in this first verse? In verse 1, he calls himself a servant or a slave of Jesus. He doesn't emphasize that he is the brother of Jesus. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I could ever get to a point where I look at one of my siblings and call them my, I'm their servant, right? Or I'm their slave. But Jude got to this point because of the way he viewed Jesus, right? This statement is telling about how Jude sees himself in regard to Jesus. Jesus is his Lord. Jesus is his master, not his equal. And so we're going to continue on here. Jude, verse 1, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. What we're going to see here is our second detail I want us to focus on as we try to get this background information is that this book is written to believers with knowledge of the Old Testament. Jude is writing to believers are those who are called beloved in God. And as we're going to see as we explore the rest of this book of Jude, that it, these believers had a very thorough knowledge of God and especially the Old Testament scriptures. Most likely these are um, believers that are Jewish um, and have Jewish background and heritage. And the letter contains numerous of these Old Testament allusions and illustrations. But we haven't got to why Jude is writing this letter, right? Why is he writing this letter? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And we see our third big piece of information we want for us to glean here is that this church is struggling in the face of corrupt teaching. He even goes so far as the letter continues to call it evil teaching. Jude is going to write to them about what? He said a common salvation. I wanted to write a different letter, but I felt amidst these circumstances you're facing, I, I had to write something else. And instead, I felt compelled to write to you about contending for the faith. Now quick, what's, the, what's that mean? What's that mean, contend for the faith? Well, um, a very, very popular Greek uh, lexicon, which really translates Greek words themselves, they, de they define this word contend as this, to exert intense effort on behalf of something. Contend means to exert intense effort on behalf of something. This word is used a lot in athletic imagery, in competitions, which actually in the Greco-Roman world here were very popular. Like, this is where the Olympics started, all right? Like, they, they were very familiar with athletic competitions and, and athletics and competing and rivalries and these kinds of things. And, and Jude is calling the church to contend. To, to view themselves as being in a competition and fighting for the noble cause that is keeping their faith. And as verse 4 says, the reason for this contention is because certain people have crept in 
He calls them ungodly. They're perverting the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord who is Jesus. People have crept into this community. They are ungodly, perverting, changing, altering the grace of God. They live sensually and deny the authority of Jesus. They don't call Jesus master like Jude just did in the opening verse. But they are promoting a cheap gospel where everything is allowable and permissible. And believers are able to do anything they want. And Jude is contending against these false teachers. And so that's what the rest of this letter is going to explore. So I'm just going to pave the way for us. We're going to try to fly through this whole book, all right? This is going to be crazy. But it's going to, I'll be talking a little bit fast at times, but I promise uh, I'll, I'll slow down at the end. Don't worry. Um, but we're going to walk through the literary argument that Jude has us on here. And Jude loves sets of three. And we're going to notice that throughout this book. And we're not going to really focus too much on verses 5 to 19, but that's going to address the problem that we have here. And then verses 20 through 25 is going to address the solution in Jude's eyes. So if you want to dig in further, because I'm not going to hit everything here in the book of Jude, I threw some resources for you on the hub. Go to thehub.epicos.org, um, and you can find a bunch of links and helpful articles and, and videos on YouTube that help explain this. I want to encourage you, if you're involved in a small group this summer, um, definitely go to the Bible Project and look at their over review video on Jude. It'll be very helpful in your discussion. That's also on the hub for you as well. Um, and also, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or your campus pastor. We'll be more than happy to discuss this wonderful book with you. But the first thing we're going to address and that Jude is going to address for us is the problem in verses 5 to 19. And I'm just going to summarize what's going on here in these verses. And the first thing I want us to see is that this problem that he faces are these corrupt teachers, and he calls them evil and rebellious. And the very first key I want us to key in on is that evil rebellion is judged according to verses 5 to 10. And he's going to show us through many Old Testament Old Testament allusions and illustrations. And as I mentioned, Jude is writing to Jewish believers. And to prove his points today, he's going to go to the Old Testament a lot. And the very first thing he's going to show us is three Old Testament examples about how evil rebellion in God's eyes is judged. And the very first example he goes and shows us is in Jude verse 5, where he says that Israel's rebellion in the wilderness is an example of this evil rebellion being judged. Um, this is a story from Numbers, Numbers chapter 14, where God saves Israel out of slavery in Egypt, according to Exodus, and he guides them to the promised land. And as they're guided to the promised land, they go through the wilderness for 40 years, and along every, every way, Israel rebels bells against the Lord at every turn. They complain. They worship other gods. They don't trust the God that saved them out of Egypt. And the book of Numbers accounts many acts of judgment for these decisions by Israel. And that's the first Old Testament example. The second Old Testament example, according to Jude 6, is that rebellious spiritual beings or angels are judged. Just like humans were created by God, they gave into sin, fell, and then forfeited their blessing of God, according to Genesis 3, there's a parallel narrative that takes place in Genesis 6, where we see many, many believe that 6 is this fall narrative of spiritual beings as well. And so just like humans, the spiritual beings exercised their free will wrongly and they forfeited their blessing in order to procreate with humans. And this is really showing us the root of all sin. 
The root of all sin is us exercising our free will, going contrary to God and forfeiting our blessing from Him. And the result of this fall of spiritual beings is that they're cast out of heaven and they face judgment for that decision. And then the third example Jude employs is in Jude verse 7, where he talks about the rebellious people of Sodom. Abraham, um, back in Genesis 18 through 19, we see Abraham desires to save his nephew Lot, who settled in the land of Sodom. And he says, if there, are, if there are ten people that are good and righteous in that city, would you spare it, Lord? And he said, I would, but guess what? There's not. And the Lord sends angelic messengers to save Lot and his family from Sodom. But the people of Sodom rebel against these messengers. They threaten to kill and even rape them. And as a result, the Lord judges that city. And so we have these three Old Testament examples, and the main point that, that Jude's trying to show us here is that in the face of all of this evil that you saw in these Old Testament pictures and stories, God judged them. Rebellion against God and rejection of his authority results in judgment. What you see here is a shocking irreverence for God and those that are his messengers and many also have an aspect of sexual immorality or defilement present in these stories. And what Jude is saying is that these corrupt leaders in your midst trying to lure you out of community in the church, they're doing the same thing in these Old Testament examples. And they will face judgment for their sin. They're trying to lead you in rebellion against God. Don't listen to them. And then the, very, the, the, the second half of that first section, verses 11 to 19, is going to show us that evil rebellion corrupts. So these, these corrupt, evil teachers, they're going to be judged for this, but also evil rebellion will corrupt, and it will lure people away. And these corrupt leaders care only about themselves, and they do not benefit this church and its community, and they're drawing individuals away from the church and creating a following and sowing seeds of division to lead people astray. And how Jude demonstrates this is he paints a, paints a picture of these teachers as villains. Um, so if I were to create a list of people and then add you to that list, I mean, how, who else is on that list will really define what I think about you, right? So if I have a list of like, Darth Vader, Lord Voldemort, Thanos, you know, and I add you to that list, you'd be like, wow, those are some pretty bad dudes, right? I mean, watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, the new uh, TV series right now. Dude, you'll see Darth Vader. He is ruthless, right? But, but you'll say, hey, man, these, these villains that are a part of this list, that, that's not a good list to be a part of. And here, what we're going to see in verses 11 to 19, specifically in verses 11, verse 11, is Jude is making a list of Old Testament villains. And he's saying that these false teachers are a part of these Old Testament villains that we see throughout the Old Testament. And so there's going to be a list here. And, and, and the first person he mentions, the first villain he mentions, is a guy named Cain. And in Genesis 4, this is a story that most of us are familiar with. The very first sibling rivalry ends with Cain murdering his brother, Adam. Or not Adam, Abel, sorry. Cain murders his brother Abel. And then Cain and his family form a whole nation of evil and draw many people into that murderous, hateful lifestyle. The second example and villain that Jude points out is a guy named Balaam, who is an evil prophet who eventually betrays Israel, is driven by profit and greed, and leads the whole nation into idolatry and immorality. We find this in Numbers 22 through 25 and 31, 16. And then the third villain he mentions is this guy named Korah. 
One of the most shocking illustrations of insubordination in the Hebrew Scriptures. He challenges the Israelite leader Moses and then leads 250 Israelites in a rebellion to try to overthrow Moses and God has to judge him as well. And so here we see these three examples of corrupt leaders and the point of these these corrupt villainous teachers is for for Jude to show this church that these These corrupt teachers are dangerous. They're self-absorbed, and they're deceptive. They'll draw you away into the rebellion that they are going to face. And in spite of all of this, though, Jude closes this first section in verses 17 17 to 19, which I'm going to read for you. And what he's going to show us is that in spite of all of this danger and evil present among them, take hope, because their efforts are futile. And God is in control. Look at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, who are worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. We see this passage very similarly in, in, in 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Also sounds like one that Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 15 to 19, decades earlier, about how there's going to be false teachers, anti-Christs, that come among you. These corrupt teachers will come and go. They'll distort the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But we should not be surprised because God isn't surprised either. And as we're going to see in verses 20 through 25, he's actually equipped us for such a time as this. All right, so that was a very fast overview. Let's all take a deep breath together. Come on now. All right, that was a very fast overview. We're going to, we're going to be parking in the second half, but before we move on, I just want to take a couple of summary statements from this vast section and what we just looked at. Jude is not necessarily pointing to the error of these teachers and what they're saying, though they are saying false things and corrupt things. But what he's saying in this section is how their character is the biggest indicator of that their message is false and their message is fake. We as a church, we as humans, need to be concerned about the character of those that we allow to be leaders before us, don't we? We need to look at people's character and how they live their lives, especially in the church. Remember our discussion from 1 and 2 Timothy? Paul cares tremendously about the character of our elders and those over us. I want to ask you a question before we move on. Who in your life have you allowed to have authority over you? Who are the thought leaders in your life? Do they reflect the qualities and the character of Jesus. Who do you listen to? Are you trusting their words and their opinions? Are you trusting the words of Jesus and the words of our God found in the scriptures? When I read texts like this, I I feel the weight personally, Um, especially especially on days like today where we celebrate fathers and, and Father's Day in our lives. As fathers, me included, we... We are leading our families. We are leading our children. And we as fathers need to have a character that reflects Jesus. 
as, as, a, as a father, you and I, we have so much influence of our children and how they are eventually going to view God in their lives. Many times, we, we reflect the character of our earthly fathers onto how we view our heavenly father, who is God. And as a dad, I feel this weight, and I feel like us as a church ought to come around our fathers, uphold them in prayer, and be praying that, that God works in them the character of Jesus to reflect the glorious, beautiful character of our Heavenly Father to them and their families and their children and ask for the Spirit to guide them. I just want to say Happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for worshiping with us here today on this date and know that I'm praying for you today and I, I think we should be praying. I should be praying for you more often than just today. But thank you for joining us here today. Uh, let's move on with the second section of Jude. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 25, and I'm going to read through these verses, and we're going to actually dig in a little bit more in depth here as we look at this. But, but we see that the problem were these corrupt, false, evil teachers. And now Jude's going to lay it out. What is the solution to this? And he's going to say the solution against these teachers with bad character is for you to have true faith in Jesus that reflects a positive character. So what is the solution? It's not to get stronger and kick out the heretics, which we might think so, but it is that interestingly, Jude says, and he calls the church to foster their faith more deeply. Look at verse 20. You, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. The first point I want us to see is that Jude calls us as a church to foster community. He calls us to foster community. These corrupt teachers are making division in the community, and they're, they're trying to break it up, but Jude calls for this community to what? Build yourselves up, verse 20. Yourself, yourselves is actually a plural. It's like, build all y'all, or if you're northern Wisconsin, build you guys up. Like, build up, all of you, as a community, build yourselves up. And this, this, ter this term, this phrase, build up, is referred many times in the New Testament as the church, as this new temple of faith, where each member of the church is a building block of this new temple. Um, over at the East Side campus, we're doing some brickwork, right, on the campus. Don't worry, Travis, I promise I will return this brick <laughs> from where I found it. But, but what you look at when you see like a brick building is there's all these individual pieces, and on their own, they're just a, a piece of brick, a piece of stone, clay, whatever. But once they're held together by mortar and built up together, these bricks form and come together to form a beautiful, beautiful, magnificent structure. And that is what the New Testament calls us as the church. We, as, as individual members, are like living stones that form together and build up the temple that is where God's presence dwells as the church. And instead of mortar, we're held together by our love and our bond for one another to hold all of us as living stones and bricks together. And I believe that's what Jude is calling for us as a church. The way to prevent false teaching and corruption and these evil, rebellious teachers from influencing us is if we're held together as bricks, building each other up in love. And so the way that we see community functioning here at Epicos Church is through our small group ministry. 
Um, right now, we are starting sign-ups for our summer small group season. You can go to thehub.epicos.org and sign up today and get plugged into community right now. But Jude also says in verse 20, be built up in your most holy faith. And that phrase is used numerous times in the New Testament to refer to the scriptures and the writings of the apostles. And so we as a church believe that our small group ministry needs to be on foundationally in the scriptures, in the Bible. And so if you sign up for a small group today, you're going to be fostering and forming community, yes, but you're also going to be studying the most holy faith, studying the scriptures, studying God's word. And if we have anything from Jude, we know that it's not just New Testament, right? But Jude points a lot to the Old Testament. We need to have a thorough, thorough reading of the Old Testament scriptures as well as the New. And Pastor Anthony next week is going to be looking at, at Hebrews for us. And he's going to be showing us and emphasizing this idea of the Old Testament, New Testament, and its continuity. But let's continue on. Verse 20. You, my beloved, are building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And the second key I want us to see and really what the next couple verses what Jude's laying out for us is that we need to live out our faith. Foster and build community and live out our faith. Look at me church. Faith is not just knowledge and things in our head but faith is a life that's lived. Faith is not just knowledge but it's a life that's lived. And here we see one example of a, of a spiritual practice that'll, that'll orient your heart to Jesus and orient your heart to God. And he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 20. Prayer fosters our faith in God. Prayer is not just asking for stuff, but it's entering into a time of silence and solitude and asking for our heart and mind to be connected with God's heart and mind. How many times do you pray in a week and orient your heart towards God? How many of the things do you pray for are for yourself or for others? Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I talked more about this idea about living out our faith and walking in love when we talked about James. So I want to encourage you. This is a shameless plug. Epicos has a great podcast where we put all of our sermons on like two days after we preach them. If you want to subscribe to that, if you miss anything, it's a great way to go back to and re-listen to the sermons. Also a way to, to re-listen to ones that you might have forgotten over the years. And so, shameless plug, go and subscribe to Epicos and their podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. But it's a great, great opportunity for us to be reminded of other things that we see in the New Testament, especially in this series where we go through the whole New Testament. Um, we, we, we forget things, you know? And so that's a great opportunity for us. But here we see Jude calling calling the church to live out the great commandment, to love God and love others and to be rooted in the love of God. Keep yourselves attached to the vine that is Jesus. But he also tells us to live our life in a merciful way at the end of 21. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus. And look at verse 22. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others show mercy and faith and fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. He wants us to exercise a saving mercy. Jude encourages us to show mercy who is, who are, to those who are drawn away in doubt and to reach out in mercy and save them. Speaking of the truth 
in love as you reach out to them. You're like, you're like a firefighter snatching somebody out of a burning building in the fires of eternal death. And so Jude tells you that's a noble calling to pursue that life of mercy. I want us all to get to this point as we grab our Connect card. Grab that Connect card. You probably received one in a bulletin um, that you got in your way in here. If not, there's going to be one in the seat back in front of you. Grab this. We talked a lot here at the end about this idea of the spiritual practices that foster our faith. And I want you on the back of your Connect card, it says, my next steps today. Write one of those practices down. Do it as an, as an illustration that, you know what, I'm going to take this, this opportunity to, to lay this, when we collect offering after sermon here today, just drop this card in the bucket with that, with that idea that you want to pursue, that practice you want to make more a part of your life here today. Um, we talked about community and small group. We talked about prayer, Bible reading, walking in the love of God, showing mercy. Write, write one of those things down. And say, I want to do that. This, I want to do that this week. I want to make this practice more a part of my life as an illustration. And lay it at the offering of Jesus. Lay it at the feet of Jesus, and allow Him to do whatever He is He wants to do for your life. But as this letter comes to a close, I wanted to remind us about the main premise today: the only way to overcome evil corruption is through true faith in Jesus. Though we are threatened to fall away, our faith in Jesus will preserve us. It's not through our own effort. It's not through conflict. It's not through fighting, but it's through resting in Jesus and in that faith that we find salvation and we're able to persevere even amidst corruption and evil. And our final point I want us today to observe is for us to rest in Jesus. This is the ultimate solution to this problem that Jude is, is telling them. You see, to close this letter of Jude, Jude writes a beautiful doxology in verses 24 through 25. Doxology, that's a big word, right? What it simply means is a statement of praise and adoration to God. A statement of praise to God, and through this statement of praise, he is encouraging the church to rest in Jesus as their only hope. He reminds the church that Jesus is the only safeguard against this threat that they're facing. Jesus is the ultimate Savior that can keep us from falling. Jesus is the all-powerful God of all time and creation, and he is preserving our very souls. So we should lean on him and trust in him. And I want to close this off today by reading this dexology for us and praying. As I read, let's, let's remember to apply this view of God and Jesus to our lives. And you can even make this short couple of verses a prayer for you in your life regularly. Let me read Jude 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We trust in you as our God. We trust in you as our King, as our Lord, as our Master. Thank you for this encouraging word here today that we found here in the, in the letter of Jude. I pray most of all that we would rest in you, rest in your power, 
Rest in your sufficiency. May we see you as the almighty God with all glory, majesty, dominion, and power that has been on the throne ruling and reigning over all time, past, present, future. May that view of you, Lord, be what fuels us as we move forward day in and day out, Lord. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this time that we can worship you. And we thank you most of all. You are our God and our heavenly Father who loves us. For all these things in Jesus' name.